chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. The Bible is just an incredible book that's packed with promises and certainties for us. Amen? Are you thankful for that? It, it, being certain of something is a real blessing, isn't it? Right? Being certain of something is just awesome. Like being certain that, you know, the sun is going to come up and begin a new day. Right? Not many people go to sleep at night worried, is it going to be light tomorrow? Is the sun going to come up? Am I going to wake up to darkness? Nobody's fretting over those things because there's a certainty that the sun is going to indeed come up. And some of you are experiencing that head on right now. It's great. Getting those tans worked on real good. I like it. So, but we have certainty on those things. And, and despite the Bible speaking about absolute truths and certainties, sadly there's a lot of believers that still struggle over having that confidence or certainty of God's love and knowing that they're his children. Now, in the last part of Romans 8, we're going to be looking at that this morning, Romans 8, starting verse 31, in this last passage of Romans 8, we hit some real mountaintop highs of scripture that declare this incredible reality of God's great love. And in this section, we're going to look at three questions that really confirm that we're children of God, that we're secure in Him, and that all things are working together for good. These three questions that we're going to examine together from this passage are, first of all, who can be against us? Secondly, who can condemn us? And thirdly, who can separate us? Who can be against us? Who can condemn us? And thirdly, who can separate us? Look at verse, in fact, let's just read through this passage here, starting in Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God, we just ask that you would add to this just your wisdom and your direction as we go through your words. Speak to our hearts here today as we allow you this time to minister in our hearts as we see your truth your word here today, we ask in your name, amen. So first of all, who can be against us? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 31. See, throughout chapter 8 of Romans, and this is one of the more glorious chapters in the Bible. They're all glorious chapters in the Bible, but Romans 8, my goodness, it just whacks you with goodness, let me tell you. And through this chapter, Paul's been taking us on this epic hike up to a mountaintop high. He's been revealing some amazing truths for us. And after stating all these wonderful things, he seems to hit the pause button and say, what can we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? What can we say? And don't, must, don't misunderstand this here. When, when he says, if God is for us, Paul isn't asking a question based on 
potential. He's asking a question based on certainty. It's not so much if God is for us, it's rather Paul is saying, since God is for us, who can be against us? How many people truly are aware that God is for you? Do you believe that today? Are you aware of that today? Thank you. This middle section, they are aware. All right. God is indeed for us. I mean, just think about that. Because so many people in this world are just trying to find someone that they can, you know, link with, find belonging with, find that person that's going to have their back. That's why people are willing to get into groups that sometimes aren't very good for them. Some bad groups in there because they find community. They feel like this person is going to have my back. I find some connection here. But God amazingly and wonderfully is indeed for us. The God who built this incredible world and hung it all in this vast expanse in this ginormous universe, this beautiful creation all around us. This very God that assembled all that together is the same God who is concerned for and cares about you. Amen? Is that good news today? That's what Paul has been writing about here in chapter 8. He's been laying out for us the things that God has done for us and the ways that he is indeed for us. All through chapter 8, just beginning in verse 14, we see that he's made us sons of God. We've received the spirit of adoption, verse 15. Verse 17, he's made us heirs where we're going to be glorified with Christ. Verse 18, we've, been uh, we've received the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Verse 23, we have a hope of redemption. In verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In verse 27, we see that he's interceding for us. Verse 28, famous verse, that he works all things together for good to those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Verse 29, he predestined us. Verse 30 says that he called us, he justified us, and he's glorified us. All these things God has done for you because he loves you. He's concerned for you. Clearly, just from those things that we've mentioned, we can see that God is for us. And then if God is for us, then who can be against us? Well, the, the honest answer, I think, would be, well, a lot of people can be against us because I feel a lot of opposition. I feel a lot of pushback. A lot of times I think some of you would say, yeah, I feel that too. I sense that there are things that are indeed against us. And that may very well be true. Being a Christian today is not a very popular thing to be in this day. Some of you experienced that. Just tell people how much you love Jesus, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you're not going to have a lot of people going, amen, that's awesome. They're going to be like, what? I don't believe that at all. Who do you think you are? They're going to be in your face. It's not always a popular thing. We understand that we have a very real enemy, Satan, who doesn't like you. And his goal is to squash you. He wants to simply keep you away from God. So when the question goes out, who can be against us? Well, I think many of us can probably say, well, I can think of a few things, yeah. No doubt. But you see, the issue is not who can be against you. The actual statement is who can be against you. Oh, you'll face opposition, but what does that mean if God is for you? It doesn't stand. It doesn't hold up. There's nothing that can come against you if indeed God is for you. You see, Paul isn't saying that you're not going to have attacks or difficulties. What he's saying, though, is that none of these enemies... None of this opposition will ever be able to overtake God or put a hand on you because of your relationship with God. Since God is for you, who can be against you? The answer is nothing. 
Think about Jonathan when he came up against the Philistines there in 1 Samuel chapter 14. And he said to his armor bearer, then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Now Jonathan had that hope that God would be for them. And Jonathan knew that as long as God is for them, it didn't matter how many Philistines were against them. They, say, they saw a number, and there's Jonathan with him and his armor bearer, but Jonathan had the right math. He said, me plus God is always in the majority. No matter how many Philistines are against us, God is for us. And we have a certainty that God is our help, that God is concerned for us. We have the certainty now, according to God's word, that he is for us. So what can come against us? Absolutely nothing. Now, how can you really know that God is for you? It all sounds very nice and, and all, but, but how can you really be sure that God is indeed for me? Well, verse 32 makes it as clear as it can be. Notice what he says in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see what God did for you? He gave up his one and only son for you. God is for you because he is heavily invested in you, in giving up his son for you. If you want to know or be reminded how God is for you, all you got to do is look to the cross and look to see what God accomplished for you through his son, Jesus Christ. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at what your friends may say. You look to the cross and to what God did to secure your relationship with him. He gave his son as a sacrifice so that you could have life in him and a relationship now with God. How many of you would be willing to give up something of just great importance for another person? I mean, somebody came up to you and said, listen, I need a phone can I have your phone? And not just to make a call. I mean, like, can I have and keep your phone? How many people, be, I wouldn't, I would be like, no, no, that's my phone. I need my phone. I'll give you my phone case. Let's go with that. I'll give you my charger, but my phone, man, I got a lot of stuff on that phone. I need that. I don't know if I, like, just little things would be, like, hard to give. But God gave the most precious thing that he had, and that was his son, his one and only son. He gave up for you. See, Paul's argument is from the greater to the lesser. He went right to the biggest, best, most difficult thing to give us, and it was Jesus, his son. So, if God would do the greater work of giving his son, Jesus, while you were still a sinner, and understand that, how could he not now give all things now that you're a child of God? Everything else is easy peasy. How many of you today are looking for the Lord to do something in your life? Or feel that there's just something missing or incomplete. And I'm not just talking about, you know, material possessions. Let me put it this way. How many of you are asking the Lord to do a work in your life today? Well, here's the thing. He's done the greatest thing for us. How much more will he not do the simpler, lesser, easier things for you? The rest is just a piece of cake, isn't it? And he's not giving you all things with strings attached. It's not something you have to earn. It says there in verse 32 that he gave these things freely. It's done by his grace, getting that which we don't deserve. If I were to give my phone to somebody, I'd be wondering and waiting when you're going to repay that favor for me. When are you going to give me an updated phone or something like that? When is that coming back my way? But God gives freely. 
not expecting something in return other than just your devotion to him. So, who can be against us? Nothing. If God's willing to give everything for us, how much more is God not for us? So who can be against us, first of all? Secondly, who can condemn us? Let's see what verse 33 has to say about this. It says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That's us, the, the believers. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So who's able to bring a charge against God's elect, his children, that's us? The answer is no one. In fact, to get the right flow of these verses, it's best to add those words, no one because. Let me read it this way. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? No one because it is God who justifies us. Again, we certainly have one that brings a charge against us, and that idea is to accuse us. In fact, Satan in Revelation 12 verse 10 is called the accuser of the brethren. And he's accusing us before God day and night, it tells us. Aren't you, aren't you thankful for that? That you've got somebody standing before God accusing you day and night. Does that just bless you today? Not so much, right? How many people hate to be accused of something? Even like just falsely accused. We just, get our, we just get our back up. We're like, don't blame me for that. Don't accuse me of that. We don't like it. We want to deny it even if we know it's true. We want to deny it, right? But notice this. Paul is saying, what kind of charge or accusation against us can stand? None can. Why? Because God has justified us. Now that's a great word, isn't it? With a great reality to it that God has justified us. Meaning that he has erased the guilt that was against us because of our sin. See, we at one point in our lives, we did not have a right standing with God, no matter how good of a life you think you've lived, no matter how great of a person you've been, because of our sin, we did not have a right standing with God. We were guilty because of our sin. We deserved accusation. But God, through his son, dying on a cross to pay the penalty for that sin, has now forgiven us and justified us. Paul said in Romans 8, verse 30, that we have been justified, meaning it's already done. It's not something that God says, well, I'm gonna see how you make out here. I'm gonna see how you do with the years ahead of you. He says, no, you are already counted as justified when you put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Already justified. We saw in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified is done in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God in other words this is a done deal my friends you're not trying to earn your right standing before God it's already done through faith in Jesus don't complicate it don't think that you can help Jesus out it's done receive it by his grace you need to know that because Satan wants to bombard you and make you think that you've blown it or that you're guilty that you don't deserve it that you can't be loved by God but that charge and accusation means nothing because God has already justified you and he's made you accepted in the beloved, it tells us in Ephesians 1. So who is he who condemns? It says uh, there in verse, let's see. Verse 34, who is he who condemns? Well, again, you read, no one because, why? Christ who died is also risen. It's Christ who's died and and furthermore is also risen. Just that this charge that has come against us, Jesus took all of our condemnation 
upon himself. God condemned our sin on the cross. What condemnation then is left to pour out? You see, we oftentimes condemn ourselves. We think, oh man, God is just looking for that opportunity to just come heavy upon us. I remember as I was reading through this just yesterday, reviewing this passage, we've got a new little kitten in our home, just a cute little guy, and I'm reading my Bible, and this kitten jumps up, and he just snuggles right in my hand, and he's just purring, she, I should say, she's just purring away, and I'm looking at this little kitten, I was like, I could just squash this thing with my bare hand, just a single hand, it was just like right there, I could just, not that, no, I'm not saying I was trying to do it or wanted to do it, I'm just saying like, I had the opportunity, like, just, okay, bad, bad illustration, all right, but sometimes, no, 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 I'm going somewhere with that, see, sometimes we think that's God just looking for the opportunity to just squash us for messing up, and I just thought, you know what, how much God loves when we just come and we just rest in his arms, and just to know that that kitten just knew that I wasn't going to do anything, that it was safe in my arms, and it was comforted, it was purring away, and I just thought, God, that's what you want us to experience. We oftentimes condemn ourselves and feel like, no, God doesn't want to receive me, God can't take me, and yet God says, I want to receive you in, and just for you to experience that love that I have for you. Are you resting in his arms? Are you realizing that Christ has already taken that condemnation upon himself that you and I deserve. He's taking it himself so that we don't have to be walking in condemnation any longer. We can walk in that freedom of experiencing the love of God that he has for us today. I hope that you are resting in the loving arms of the Father here today. All right. My iPad is overheated. I just lost my notes, so we're just going to go with this here now. There's my daughter's prayers being answered. Make this quick. It's, it's going to be quick now. So, <laughs> I'm going to move that over here, and it'll cool that sucker down. So, <clears throat> can you put that in shade somewhere there? All right. So, so we've seen who's against us. Thank you. I was waiting for that answer. Who is against us, guys? Nobody. Why? Because God is for us. What have we seen secondly? Who can condemn us? Nobody. Why? Because Christ has already died for us. He's taken that condemnation for us. Thirdly, who can separate us? Look at what we read now as we go into verse 34, or sorry, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Let me stop right there. You see, we can oftentimes feel like we're separated from the love of God when we base it upon our circumstances. When we think that God is always going to treat us the way we would like to be treated. Because so oftentimes we go through difficulty, tribulation. Listen. Being a believer, we've never been promised that we're going to have an easy road. If you thought coming to Christ meant that everything was just going to be hand-delivered to you, you know, on a nice platter, going to be just walking through a field of, you know, tulips, it's, 
you've got the wrong idea here. Oh, let me tell you. Giving your life to the Lord, there's nothing better. Why? Because he takes away your guilt, your sin. He offers you eternal life freely. There's no greater way. But understand that we live in a fallen world. And there are times we're going to encounter tribulations. We're going to encounter what Paul says here. Distress or persecution or even famine. We might experience hardship, but that never changes who God is or his love for you. And if you're basing that idea of God's love for you on your circumstances, then you're going to be miserable. Rather, if you're basing it upon the word of God and understand that nothing can separate me. When I go through hardship, that's not a sign that God is against me. No, you've already seen that God is for us. When I go through persecution, trials, or famine, it doesn't mean that God's forgotten about me. No, those are things oftentimes that God uses to actually strengthen us in our devotion, our love for him, our, our growing in him, in trust, and seeing God do a great work. When my kids were younger, if I just gave them everything that they wanted, let them do what they wanted to, I mean, they would have never gone to bed. They would have just played video games all night. They would have ate frosted flakes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they would have thought, man, this is great. I love it. But you know what? It wouldn't have been good, would it? It wouldn't have been healthy for them. It wouldn't have been beneficial, though. They would have said, man, this is awesome. I love it. I would know this is not the way that you're going to grow and be strengthened. And the Lord says, there are times where I'm going to allow things in your life that may not be what you would want, but you're going to see me at work as you trust me, as you lean upon me. See, those things don't mean that God doesn't love you. No, God allows those things because he does love us and he wants the best for us. He wants us to grow and be healthy believers following him despite what we might encounter. What can separate us? Neither, neither tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or pillar or sword. And Paul quotes now from Psalm 44 to say, listen, this goes all the way back to the Old Testament saints. Because the psalmist would write there, for your sake, we are killed all day long. <laughs> it's not great. In other words, the psalmist says, we are living a life that's just so surrendered to you, knowing that we're not expecting everything to be perfect in our lives, but we want to live our lives for the glory of God. For your sake, we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Even Old Testament times, the psalmist says, and Paul quotes this to say, nobody's gone through a life of just bliss and perfection, but they've encountered the love of God through it all, who is with them, who is for them, who's not gonna leave them or forsake them. His love continues to be seen. And notice what Paul says here. Yet, verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present or things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord yet verse 37 yet you're going Brent you're, you're talking a lot of stuff that I'm not really comfortable about here Paul says hold on yet in all these things no matter what hardship you face yet in all these things we are more than conquerors now that's not something that comes naturally does it some of you might be sitting here saying, man, I kind of feel quite defeated. I don't quite feel like a conqueror. In fact, that's something that we don't oftentimes naturally 
feel. In fact, if you look at me, I don't know if you've noticed before, but I've got a condition called height impairment. And uh, I've had a battle through this. My favorite verse is, uh, do not despise the day of small things. That's kind of my life verse. So I've had to deal with adversity growing up. There's been times where I don't feel like a conqueror. I, I feel quite the opposite. In fact, true story, I remember one time, a uh, boy in our neighborhood came and dropped off a couple of bags of clothes. And uh, for my kids, while well, I was looking through it, and I'm going, man, these are some nice clothes, and they, they actually fit. I'm going to take some of these. The guy that dropped them off was in grade 7. I was a 38-year-old man. So I'm walking around a middle-aged man wearing grade 7 clothes that he had outgrown. So the Lord, you know, keep me humble. I don't know if I needed humbling too much, right, um, because I've had to grow up with this. In fact, my brother, you know, three years older than me, was always like the tallest kid in his class. I was always like the tallest or the shortest kid in my class. Like by the, you know, by the time he was grade seven, he was like full Sasquatch, like hair everywhere. This guy just matured so quickly, and I just was like the shrimp in my family. He inherited my dad's jeans. My dad's quite taller. I inherited my mom's jeans. Like, she's a shrimp. And, and by inheriting her jeans, let me tell you, like, she literally had to pass on her jeans to me because I couldn't find any that fit me. So being more than a conqueror, not something that, you know, comes naturally, right? I feel quite the opposite. Some of you might feel the opposite, but notice this here. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us. You see, don't look to your circumstances or your situation to think that God loves you. Understand that through him who's already shown his love for you, you are able to continue on living as a conqueror through the hardships that come. Nothing should separate you from the realization of the love that God has for you. That's why Paul says, oh, I'm persuaded. I'm confident. I'm certain that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. It's there for you. And I pray today that each and every one of you know this love of God. Some of you might be here today that have never heard the Bible opened up that way. They've never heard about God's love for you. Let me just explain something to you, and I want to give you the, the good news, but first, before the good news, I want to give you the bad news, and I've kind of laid it out already, but let me do it again for those of you that maybe are here today, maybe been invited by a friend, and this is kind of new for you. Understand that we are all born into sin. Sin is what separates us from God. God created you to be in relationship with him, but sin came in and ruined all that. And we're, we're born into that. None of us, the Bible says that none is good. There's none that's righteous, no, not one. We were separated from God because of our sin. We were in trouble. We needed help. There was nothing we could do. A lot of people live by religion thinking, I can earn my way. I can be a good enough person for God to receive me. No, there's nothing you can do in and of yourself because God's standard of goodness is so much greater than what we can do. But God did something for you. As we've seen today, he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin. He died and he rose again. And he said that if you will put your trust in me, if you will believe in me and what I did for you, then you shall be forgiven and receive eternal life. That's a free gift that God extends to you. 
It's the only way you can be right with God. It's the only way to receive eternal life. And if you're here today, and you've never received Jesus, you've never put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, I want to encourage you to do that today. And all you need to do is pray a simple prayer like this. Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of saving. And I pray today, because you died and rose again, that you'd forgive me of my sin. Thank you that your word tells us that you will receive us as we call out to you. And so I ask that you'd come and be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Make me new. And may I have that life that you give me. I ask this now in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer today, I want to encourage you to come down and meet with our prayer teams that are going to be on either side of the stage. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and we're going to close with uh, a song or two of, of just worship here today. And we're going to have prayer teams available for prayer here. If you need prayer today, I encourage you to come and see them on the side here. And I encourage all of you guys to go today in the confidence and the certainty of the greatness of God's love for you, of what he's done for you, of what we have in him. Go forth rejoicing and praising God for his goodness and grace in our lives.